book. Um, we, we finished Ephesians uh, a few weeks ago, and we are uh, starting uh, a journey through the book of Jonah, um, uh, the prophet Jonah. And over the next four months or so, we'll be going verse by verse um, through the book. Um, the theme of our study is, is what's up there uh, behind me, the words pursued by grace. We're going to be exploring the story of Jonah um, to see how God pursues his people and all of his creation with his loving and his compassionate grace, the gift that he gives. It's, it's, it's the gift of his truth, the gift of his law, um, which makes us confront how sinful we really are and how serious a violation of God's righteousness those sins are, and then drives us to recognize our need of him, our need to be um, as a word that, that's going to come up in, in the things that happen to Jonah, the need to be rescued um, from that sin. And the story of his grace, the gift of his great sacrificial love, um, his forgiveness, his freedom, his renewal, his adoption as his children, the gift of eternal life with him, all those gifts that come entirely of his grace um, because he loves us, um, because um, he is good and he is righteous and he is gracious, not because we're good or we're righteous or we have done something that can earn that. So we see throughout Scripture, it is indeed God um, who pursues with his grace. It is not people who rush to God. That is not how we are built. That's not um, how um, we as creatures in a, in a fallen world, in a sinful world, um, think of God. Our, 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 our default is to, is to run and to turn. And, and as we're going to see in the story of Jonah, turning and running uh, is a thing that, that exemplifies um, half the story um, that, that we'll see. Um, but it is God who pursues um, with his grace to those who are far off, to those who are running, to those who are faithless. Um, we see that Psalm 39, 7 through 10 will be up behind me, um, talks about just what God does um, to pursue us. And, and, and even as we run and even as we try to get away, we cannot. Um, it says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shoal, the grave, um, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Um, this is God who pursues, a God who goes to wherever his children are and, and, and comes for them with a grace, a, a compassionate grace and a relentless grace. This is the essence of of the story of Jonah, a story of a God who pursues with his love, with his compassion, and with his grace. Because it is a story, and like, um, the, you know, when we look through Ephesians, that was a letter, and Paul was saying, here's things you need to know, here's things about your sin and the gospel and all that, and then I'm going to tell you how that applies to your life and how that makes you right with God. You know, that, the, the letters are, are basically, we, we don't have have to do so much, so much work to say, what did you mean when you said don't do this? Well, that's crazy, don't do this, is what, you know. So that's, when we look at a story, though, um, we're going to be drawing um, lessons out of, out of something that happened to a person as opposed um, to um, somebody just telling us something um, to do or understand. Um, so we're, we're staying. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to tell this story. We're going to go through, we're going to do an overview of the entire book of Jonah today. When I say entire book, it's four chapters. It's like two pages. It's, so, we're, you know, we're not going to be here till 11 tonight or something like that. It's, so it won't take us um, that long. But um, we're going to tell a story to see what happens in the book of Jonah to give an overall view 
of how God pursued Jonah, how God pursued the people of Israel um, with his grace, and how God then used Jonah for the purpose of pursuing God's enemies, the pagan people of the rest of the world, with his grace. From this, we'll see the story of Jonah is also the story of us, um, how he pursued us and how he seeks to use us for the pursuit of other people. So let's start in our story. We're going to see the first thing um, that we see when God pursues. We're going to see God pursue his people, um, the people uh, in the Old Testament of of the nation of Israel, people that he chose and set aside for himself. And to start our study of the book of Jonah, we're not going to start in the book of Jonah. Um, instead, we're going to start in the book of 2 Kings. This is actually where we're introduced um, to Jonah in the Bible. The first time we hear about him is in the book of 2 Kings. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, um, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 14. It will be up behind me um, if, if, if you don't have a Bible or don't want to just try to find 2 Kings. Um, and we're going to read verses 23 through 27. Of chapter 14. Um, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart of all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Okay, so here's where we um, see uh, Jonah first come in. It's in the story of of this king. Uh, Jonah is a prophet, a, a messenger from the Lord, one who actually is delivering messages given to him by God. Um, for people to hear, and he was a messenger to the king of, and it says Samaria. Now, Samaria is essentially the capital city of the kingdom of Israel. At this point in, uh, in, 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 in Jewish history, um, David, uh, David came to the throne, and all of Israel, the 12 tribes, and all the land that God had given them was united in one, and he reigned, and, and he built up the kingdom, made it into a great power, conquered the enemies from, from all around them. Um, then his son Solomon took over, and Solomon built the temple uh, in Jerusalem, and, and there was great peace and prosperity. Uh, Israel was probably at its most powerful that it had ever been at that point. The problem was after Solomon, um, Solomon's sons had a dispute as to who should be king. And essentially what happened is that the kingdom of Israel splits into two parts, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, Judah remains, um, remains with its capital in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. Um, whereas the uh, northern ki- uh, kingdom of Israel um, starts its li- a, a different line of kings. So what we're going to have is two, the, the Chronicles of the Book of Kings tells us about these two different lines of kings, one for, um, one for Judah and one for Israel. And, so, and it does that here, as you saw in verse 23, it says, while this guy was ruling in Judah, this guy came into power um, in Israel, and, and Samaria was actually the capital city of, of the people 
of Israel, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and what we know from the Bible and, and what the book of Kings and then also the book of Chronicles tells us is that all of the kings of Israel were wicked men. Um, there was never a time that Israel had a leader who had the heart of God and led his people um, to, to live righteously and to um, get rid of idol worship and to get rid of, of um, indulgent and, and sensual living. Um, they indulged in all that. They, 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 they took wives from foreign lands and they worshipped the gods of foreign lands. They built idols and they didn't worship God. Even as they worshipped God, they didn't worship him as he said to worship him. So they built what they call these high places and they'd go and they, they were supposed to go to the temple, but because the temple was in a different place now uh, and they had separated themselves, they, they went to other places to worship. So they just literally had no regard um, for what God said to do them. And one king seemed to be um, worse than the last. And we see here Jeroboam did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of his ancestors. So we have this whole line of kings in Israel, and each one of them just is, is sinful. And in the same way, Jeroboam uh, was sinful. And it talks about another Jeroboam here. This is actually Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam um, the first was, was, was an ancestor of his. And the kings in, in living um, these sinful, wicked lives that they lived also made Israel to sin. So not only were they sinful in themselves, but because they were the king, they inspired sin among their people. So we have a kingdom that you look at and you go, these are not people who deserve the favor of God. These are not people that you'd look at and go, wow, those are God's chosen people, right? But even in that sin, even in that wickedness, God was merciful to them. Even in their sin, God was merciful to them. He looked at Israel and saw in their sin, in their wickedness, he saw that they were bitterly afflicted. He saw that they were suffering and there was no help on the way. It talks about how there was none left bond or free um, meaning, you know, people who were, uh, you know, of the king and his lineage or, or just anybody else. There was no one who could come and, and save the day. There was no person who was going to deliver them. And God, um, uh, God looked at them and said, I want to bless them because why? Why would he want to do that? Because they're his. Because he loved them. They were not reciprocating that love. They were not living as people who look like they're loved by God, but he loved them because they're his, because of his grace. His grace has nothing to do with the merit of the people who receive it. We don't receive God's grace because we earned it or because we cleaned ourselves up enough or because, um, because today I managed not to sin too bad. No, grace is what he gives because he wants to give it. Because he's loved. The Israelites were not worthy of God's mercy. It's not mercy if you're worthy of it. Um, nobody needs mercy if they've earned a break. It's like you're just giving them what they earned. No, they, they were not worthy of God's mercy. But because they were his people, they were chosen by him to be his people, he loved them and he wanted them. The passage says uh, there near the end, of what we read, that he was not going to blot them out. He had promised that. He was not going to destroy Israel and eliminate them um, from the faith of the earth. He, he, at times, would punish them. He would, at times, discipline. He'd, at times, send armies to, um, to defeat them, um, to take from them. 
Um, and at one point in the king, you know, later in the history of the kingdom, Israel, they're, they're, they're going to be scattered. Um, and, but yet he's promised he was never going to destroy them completely. Genesis 12, 34. Abraham, the father of Israel, um, God told him this, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and on you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He's not going to um, deny his promise because his promise is is trustworthy and good and comes um, from his grace. Um, That's why we call grace unmerited favor. We don't earn it. Um, He gives it to us freely for no other reason than we are his, he loves us, and it pleases him um, to show us his grace. In our story, and so let's fast forward to today in our story, um, we see God work in his people. Um, So Israel was God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, a, 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 a demonstration of what God wanted to say, I have set aside my children for my purposes. Today, that is us. Today, that is us, his church, his people, a community that he has drawn together by his grace. He calls us and he saves us to be one together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives us grace to save us um, by, by sending Jesus to live and die for us, and then he gives us grace to give us the faith to even come close to believing that and eventually the faith to trust in that. It is all um, of him. He does that, and and he gives us the grace not just to be a saved person, but to be part of his saved chosen people. Um, Called to be, like just like he wanted to make much of his nation, he wants to make much of his body, um, his church. And so he calls us and he saves us not to be individuals, but to be together, to love him and each other um, as we seek to serve him and each other and teach and encourage each other to do those same things, to be a people for God who loves people for God. So we see that Jonah um, saw, he was a witness. He, he got to see what God's grace did in his own people. He got to see God reach down to a people who didn't deserve it and show his grace. And, and, and what he did, he's like, he says, they're suffering, so I'm going to expand their territory. And actually, they experienced this, 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 this great expansion of the kingdom back to the time of David and Solomon. So Jonah sees this miraculous outpouring of God's grace on a wicked king in his wicked kingdom. And so you think Jonah would go, wow, this grace... Uh, it is it, crazy. That's, that's an amazing thing. Um, so let's move on to the uh, second uh, part of our story, which actually take place in the actual book of Jonah, um, to see that, that God's grace was so outrageous that he also wants to pursue not only his people, Israel, the chosen people of God, but he wants to pursue the pagans, the people who weren't in the nation of Israel, but the people on the outside. What do I mean by pagans? Well, first of all, the pagans were non-Jews. They were not God's people. Um, second, they were, they were worldly. They did not live lives according to how God had said. God had given his law to the Jews and said, I want you to live this way to identify you as people who love me and people who serve me. The Gentiles didn't have that. The Gentiles lived however the heck they thought they should live. Um, they let the world define their lives, not, uh, not God. And so they are people who we would say are far um, from God. 
In the first chapter of the book of Jonah, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a massive city um, in, in the nation of Assyria. Um, and he, what he wants him to do in, in the city of Nineveh is go and prophesy and tell them, you are wicked and sinful people, and I am going to destroy you. Um, Jonah does not want to do this. Uh, it tells us in chapter 4 of the book of Jonah that he was actually angry that God would send him to Nineveh. Why is he angry? Um, he is angry because he was afraid that if he sent this message to the people of Nineveh, that the people of Nineveh would actually listen to him. To be honest, when I preach, my fear is the opposite, that people won't listen to me, but Jonah was afraid, like, you know, they know you're God and they're going to listen, and that really cheeses me off. And, and it, it says in, in verse 4-2b, For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So he knew that, that, that they'd listen. He knew that God would withhold his judgment, and he didn't want them to do that. He didn't want them to listen. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to be saved. Why? Well, a, a few factors. One, there's God's relationship with Israel. As God's chosen people, they were his representatives on earth, and the problem is they kind of got that. And so they had a lot of disdain for the other nations of the world because they weren't God's chosen people. Um, God, it's like, God is mine. You can't have him uh, kind of thing. So they don't want to, he doesn't want to share the blessings with people who aren't, who aren't worth it, who aren't as good as the people of Israel. For a, a nation like bathed in wickedness, as we saw, that's kind of a weird kind of way of looking at it, but that's, that their identity was caught up in who they were as Israel, not who they were because of God's grace. So it was God's relationship with Israel. Um, there was past hurt. There was past hurt. They didn't want Nineveh to experience, and Assyria to experience repentance because Assyria had hurt them in the past. Um, we see... Um, also, you know, back in, the, uh, back in Kings and, and, and throughout the historical record, we see that there was a time, like three, four generations back, when Israel was forced to pay tribute to Assyria. Now, one nation would pay tribute to another nation back in the day. It's not like, it's not like there's, um, you know, there's some kind of party and, like, the leader of one nation gives them a, a gift and the leader of the other nation, everybody. It's not that kind of thing. You paid tribute because one was a big bad bully and the other people didn't want to get, like, you know, crushed. Um, so, or... The one was a big bag bully and already crushed you, and now you have to give them. You have to give them gold, and you have to give them livestock, and you have to give them slaves, and you have to give. So it was uh, to to pay tribute means that Assyria was a power that could dominate Israel, and Israel lived in fear of them. So this relationship that they had um, with Assyria would be one like they are kind of our enemy. And I don't want to do that. Even though at this point in history, Assyria has actually suffered some setbacks. They're not as powerful as they are. As we see, Israel's grown. Um, so if there's, you know, so, so really those, those scales were a little closer. But still, it's hard to forget what people have done to you in the past. Uh, it's hard to forget that. And so Jonah didn't want to, um, to what in the way he saw it, reward this other nation um, by giving them. Um, by giving them this warning, this, this chance to repent. And finally, there was also fear of the future. 
Just fear of the future. <laughs> Two other Old Testament prophets who, who's, who's, uh, whose books we see in, in the Bible, Hosea and Amos, both prophesied that, a day was, that there would be a day that the Assyrians would conquer Israel. And, and literally about a few dozen years after, after God sends Jonah to get Nineveh to repent to, to, to save Assyria, God uses Assyria to conquer the people of Israel. Um, and so, so the fear was real, and the fear would become actualizing it someday. Yet God says in his purposes, I want them, and I want you to go to them. And Jonah knows this. Jonah's a prophet. He knows what God has said. He's like, I love, I love my people too much to go worry about other people. So especially if those other people can hurt my people or make my people not as effective or, or, or cause suffering to my people. So I'm not going to worry about the other. Um, because I want to take care of my own. But clearly God was pursuing the Ninevites. Verse 411, it's the last, last verse in the entire book, Jonah says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God cares about his creation. Um, uh, I, I read that line about that cattle. I'm like, that seemed like a weird thing to end with. But um, in, in Psalm 50, it tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, it's his. It's all his. Everything in Nineveh, just like everything in Israel, just like everything in Judah, uh, was all his. He cares about his creation. Even though they weren't his chosen people, he wanted to extend mercy to them. He wanted them to repent of their sin and turn to him, to worship him, to honor him. He was pursuing these pagan people with his grace. And he wanted Jonah, one of his chosen people, one of the people who were supposed to be on his team, to go help him do that. The same is true in our world today. The pagan in our world today... is the person who doesn't know, who doesn't know God, who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who hasn't trusted in what Jesus Christ has done for them. In Ezekiel chapter 18, he says this, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God loves his creation, and he desires that his creation repent and come to him. He is pursuing the people of the world with his grace. You know, we certainly believe here that, that God has chosen those who are his um, that, and that he's not going to lose any. It's not like he's going to slip through the cracks. It's like, doggone it, that was one of mine, and they got away. That is not, we don't believe that God is sovereign over those who are his and those who aren't. But here's the thing, we don't know who those people are. Um, So God tells us, I want you to go tell the world. I have people in every corner of the world who are mine. I have every people in the corner of your city who are mine. I have people in your neighborhood who are mine. I have people in your workplace who are mine. I have people in your home who are mine, and you need to go and tell them about me. You need to be part of my pursuit of grace for them. And too often we respond like Jonah does. We don't want to reach out to the others um, with the story of God's grace, with the story of his gospel. And it may be for reasons like Jonah did. They aren't like us. 
You know, we're, you know, we, we, we come to church and we gather and we do religious things and we read our Bible and we pray and, and, and we don't, we don't, we, well, we sin, but we don't do that. We don't do those kind of sins, right? Um, they aren't like us. Maybe they're not, they're not the same social class as us. Either they're, they're, they're in poverty or, or they might be like too well off, like they'd have, they wouldn't want anything to do with this anyhow. Um, maybe they're not the same color as us. Maybe they're not the same personality. They, they're just, they're just, they're kind of weird. Maybe they don't have the same political views. Um, maybe they don't, you know, maybe they like fast food and I'm a real health junkie. That's clearly a, you know, a hypothetical. Um, but, um, you know, they're, they're not like me. Why would, why would I want to reach out to them? Or maybe we respond like Jonah because we've huff, we, we have suffered hurt at the hands of the others. We, we can't, we can't, I just can't trust going out to reach out to people because people have hurt me. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we have fear. Um, you, know, no, I, you know, it's not like if I go tell somebody about Jesus, they're going to burn my house down and raid my bank account, but they might reject me. Maybe I'm afraid. Maybe we want justice for others that we didn't want for ourselves. It's like Jonah wants Nineveh to suffer because they deserve it, not recognizing that he deserves it and Israel deserves it. Or maybe we're just lazy or it's, it's uncomfortable and I don't want to be uncomfortable. Or really, maybe we just don't believe all this like we say we do. Because if we did, if we believed it enough, if we believed that Jesus is, is, is awesome and came to save us because without him, we're destined to an eternal death instead of an eternal life. Um, instead of joy and peace, we have heartache. Um, if we believe that, wouldn't that be something we wanted to tell people? If we have those attitudes, we must repent of any and all of them. And like God asked of Jonah, go and help him Pursue the loss. He doesn't need our help, but he wants it. In, in, in his world, he said, I'm, I, can literally, I could literally on the spot appear to this guy and make him believe in me in a second, but here's what I want to do. I've appeared to you in my body, and I want you as the body of Christ to go and see people and let them see me so that they'll believe in me. Um, he calls us to help him pursue um, the lost. So we've seen how God has pursued Israel with his grace. See how God pursues the lost with his grace. Now, finally, let's look at how God pursued Jonah with his grace. Okay, so we've established that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He considered it a bad idea. He considered it something that, that wasn't worthwhile doing. So Jonah ran away. Ran away. Immediately after God tells him to go to Nineveh, he, ba- he goes down to the dock. He says, boats, Nineveh, that way. I'm getting on the ones going that way. He essentially, for those who don't know, Nineveh is like in that, it's like that way, let's see, you're looking at, I'm trying to figure out the map, that way in Asia, and he's like, Tarshish, Tarshish is Spain, which is all the way over here. It's like, as far as they knew, the Mediterranean was like the ocean, and it's like, that's as far away as I can get from where God wants me to. I'm running, and I'm going as far away from this task as I can. This too can be us. Either we get weary of fighting the good fight against sin or or we're afraid to be different or we just love our sin too much and we want to indulge it. So we run. uh, We run away from God. We 
we turn our back to him and we turn back towards the sin that keeps trying to enslave us. I'm not going to go too much into this, but we're literally going to talk about the idea of running from God next week. Um, but it's clearly something um, that we do. Um, and we see in the story of, of God, uh, story of Jonah that God pursues Jonah by making Jonah, and again, this is like, what makes Jonah suffer? He pursues Jonah through suffering. Um, the ship that Jonah is on is basically caught in a massive storm that God has literally created for that purpose. Um, and as everybody on the ship is, is, is going to die if they do, don't do something, essentially the crew winds up discovering through God ordaining the casting of lots, or if you want to say like the rolling of dice, and it's like seven, Jonah. It, it's, it, it's basically a process which God actually just works through every circumstance to let the crew know, this has all happened to you because of that guy. And they're like, what do we do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard because this no one, you know, yeah, I know, it's God. I, you know, I probably shouldn't have done this. Um, and so they're like, we can't do that. We'd be killing you. He's like, no, you got to do it. And they're like, God, forgive us. And they throw him overboard. And he's sinking. And, and he's, he's going to die. Um, he's going to die. God will send suffering into our lives too. And some of it is going to be like with Jonah. Some of it is we are going to sin and make self-serving bad decisions that are going to hurt us. Some of it's not going to be because of our sin, but because of our circumstances. We're just, um, we're in a situation where, bad, where, where a bad thing is going to come out and we just got, got caught up in it. And sometimes we, we have no idea. We have no idea how it happened or why it happened, but it happens. Um, and we suffer. We suffer because this is a world of suffering. It's a world of harshness and sin and curse because we chose sin instead of him. So even when it's not our sin, it's all the result of sin on the world. God will send suffering in our lives and we, it, it won't make any sense. But all of it, whether it's because of our sin or whether it's for reasons we can't even begin to comprehend. All of it is meant to drive us back to him. It's called to have us rely on him, on his strength, instead of our own. Even if that means bringing us to the end of ourselves, to let us know, you can't do this. And it's only at that point that we go, okay, I can't do it. But he can. And that could be in bringing healing um, in this world, or it can be bringing ultimate healing that comes in the next from him. But he, he, he wants us in our suffering to come to him, to rely on him, to rest in him, to realize that this world is of suffering, but he is better um, than that. So he pursues Jonah with Jonah's suffering. Second, once Jonah is put in fear of death, God saves him. You're like, I've been talking, I don't even know how long I've been talking about Jonah right now, but it's like, you haven't really mentioned the fish part. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, kind of save it to the end. But everybody knows the story, basically knows the story of Jonah because Jonah got, what happened to Jonah? 
He got swallowed by, and you know, we think whale, but the Bible says great fish. Jonah, swallowed by a fish. I mean, you can go out on the street and go, you know, you think about Jonah? Isn't that the guy who swallowed by a fish? I mean, you're going to find a number of people who are going to know that. Yeah, and so, so God say, saves Jonah by sending a big fish um, to, to swallow Jonah. Um, the, 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 he swallows him not to eat him. Uh, the fish was, again, as God appointed, you know, the, the, the Bible uses this word appointed repeatedly throughout the story. God appointed the storm to shake up the ship. God uh, appointed the, you know, God made the lots fall so they could figure out who Jonah was. God appointed, whether it's a special one, one God, that God has, had, had specifically created or made possible at this point. It's a miraculous thing. He sends this fish to preserve Jonah, to save Jonah. Um, Jonah says in, in, in verses 2, Chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Those who pay regard um, to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay because salvation belongs to the Lord. God sent salvation um, to Jonah. If you like, what, it, it, let's see, how could God manifest his grace? Send me a big fish so I don't drown to death and swallow me so I have a place to rest like you just couldn't, you literally couldn't see that coming. Um, but, but that's because God's grace is miraculous. It is beyond our ability to comprehend what he will do to save his children. Um, and that salvation is of the Lord, as Jonah declares, is exactly the same for us as it was for Jonah. We may, we may, we may not be drowning in a literal sea, um, but we all face what Jonah faced. We face death. Um, because of our sin, we face an eternal death. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth for us. We live in sin. He lived without sin. And then even though we deserve to die for our sins, he who didn't died for us so that he could take the punishment we deserve. And as Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, you want to know who believed in a fish that swallowed Jonah and kept it alive for three days? Jesus did. Because he says this, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Um, as Jonah was swallowed, so Jesus was buried for us. And on the third day, just as Jonah was vomited back up on the beach, um, Jesus emerges from that tomb, um, conquering, in new life, conquering death and hell and giving us a hope of, ever, of new and everlasting life with him. Our salvation is not found in ourselves. We can't say, say here's the thing, Jonah couldn't save himself by going to Nineveh and doing what God told him. Jonah could only be saved because God is gracious and pursued him with his grace. The same is true of us. Jesus Christ came to die for us to pursue us with his grace. He gave everything so we could be with God. Our salvation is not found in ourselves, but in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And finally, having been saved, uh, having, having been saved um, God also pursue, uh, pursues Jonah by teaching him. Pursues him by teaching him. Um, so again, you have this great story, and it's like, Okay, so he's running, and then there's a fish and a storm, and 
you know, they toss him overboard, and he's swallowed, and it's like this great miraculous story. So he gets vomited up, and then the, the book's going to end on maybe like this weird story about a plant. Um, it's like a plant, okay. You know, there's a big fish, and now we have a plant. But, um, but God's not done with Jonah, because Jonah gets up, and he's like, <laughs> it's almost like he, he, he's like, I get the point. Let me go do what I'm supposed to do. So he gets up. God says again, go to Nineveh. Tell them I'm going to destroy them because of their wickedness. And he goes, okay. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches. And he tells them, God is going to destroy you in 40 days if you, you know, because of your great sin. And Nineveh does exactly what you would, God wanted them to do. They go, no, we repent of our sin. We honor you. We, 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 we forgive. The, the king like sits in ash, sackcloth and ashes and and there's just great repentance in the land. And God has done what he wanted to do with the Ninevites. They have repented. They have come to him. Um, and Jonah goes outside the city to watch what happens. And he is mad about it. He is mad about it. So God, he's sitting out in the city. Uh, he's sitting outside the city. And it's hot. It's, you know, desert type thing. And, and uh, he, he's, he's not happy. And so God goes, I'm now going to teach you a story. And so he lets this, he lets this plant grow. That covers Jonah with shade while he's sitting in the desert, kind of grousing and watching the city and not seeing them be destroyed and going. Ah, ah, ah. But and then he gets his plant and it makes him, you know, gives him shade and he's like, oh, I feel better now because I'm, I'm not hot anymore. And then the next day, God kills the plant, um, sends a worm. So we have a, we have a specially appointed storm and a specially appointed fish and we have a specially appointed plant. Now we have a specially appointed worm that comes to kill the plant. And then Jonah is really, really mad again. Uh, he's like, you took my plants away. I wanted him to keep my plant. Um, and God says, are you mad about the plant? He's like, he's like yeah, I'm mad about the plant. It's like, what, what do you, why, why should you be mad about the plant? You didn't do anything for that plant. That plant was, that plant was me. It had nothing to do with it. You, did, you didn't plant it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't do anything with it for it. it that, that you had it was by grace. That you lost it is, 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 is of my work. It, it, it had nothing to do with, with what you've done for that plant, Yes, you're, yet you're sad about it. I created these people in Nineveh. They are, they are my creation. Should, you, you pity your plant. Shouldn't I pity my creation, the people who I shaped um, for myself? Why should you be mad? God uses the situation to teach Jonah about grace. He and he also pursues us by teaching us. Um, he gives us his word to tell us all about who he is, tell us all about what he's done for us, and tells us how we are to follow him, how he wants us to live um, for our good and for his he sends us his Holy Spirit, his, his, his very self, to live within us, to teach us and to guide us and to lead us and to convict us um, when we stray. Um, he sends us his church. He sends us each other to preach um, the word, to, to, to train, to worship together, to encourage and to hold accountable. And yes, just like with Jonas, he, he sends us the circumstances of life, good and bad, um, in which we apply the grace he has given us. Um, so that we can do as Jonah eventually did, um, preferably in a, in a more humble and more thankful way, um, to preach to our own hearts the grace of God and to share with each other in the world our homes, workplaces, neighborhoods, city, state, the entire globe that 
God loved the world so much that he sent his son. As we finish, we see that in many ways, we are Jonah. You're Jonah. Now, most Bible stories, um, we, we tend to read a Bible story and we want to read the story of like David and Goliath and see how we can be a David and slay our giants or how we're Joseph and how we can be righteous. In most biblical stories, we are not the hero. We're all, basically, here's how, here's how to find yourself in a story in the Bible. Who did the worst thing? That's us. Who did the best thing? That's Jesus. Okay, so, um, so in the story of David and Goliath, David's the deliverer, that's Jesus. We're the cowardly Israelites going, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I can fight that guy. I don't know. Okay. In the story of Joseph, we're not Joseph who, who, who suffers saying God meant it for good. He's, gonna, he's going to take care of me. He's going to be fine. We're the evil brothers who sold him into slavery and then years later come to him and bow to him asking him to rescue us. We are always, we're, I'm sorry, here's the story, we're always the bad guy, if you look at a story, all right? So, but we are Jonah because Jonah, as you see through here, Jonah has a lot of sin struggle. Jonah has a lot of problems recognizing what God is doing and wanting to do what God do. That is the nature of our hearts. But we have a God who loves us. We have a God who, like with Israel, has, has shown us um, his undeserved goodness. Like with the Ninevites, um, has shown us that that extends far beyond ourselves, even when we're reluctant or don't think that's right. And like with Jonah, he shows us that we desperately need the salvation that belongs to the Lord. And that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as over the next four months or so, we go through this book, let us remember the God who pursues us with grace. How great we we are loved by him, that he sent his only begotten son to die for us so that if we believe in him, if we trust in what he's done, he will give us everlasting life with him. And let us remember that when we trust in him, we are his and thus are to be used for him, which includes joining him in pursuing the rest of the world with the truth of what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Don't we, Father?